Shunshen Dugawa. Lovely listeners, and get ready for some thrilling heroics as we bring you episode two of Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast presented by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. We hope you enjoyed our last episode where we took a look at the actual pilot for the series, Serenity. And this time out, we're going to be tackling the first aired pilot for the show, a little ditty called The Train Job. And if you ever want an example of what Fox Broadcasting thinks of its viewers' intelligent levels, well then look no further as to these two episodes. The former was a well-scripted, superbly acted opener that fleshed out the characters in a natural and organic fashion, and the latter is a paint-by-numbers spell-everything-out-for-you-mindless-drones hack job. Yes, I know, spoilers, to which I say, hey, we're going to be talking about this episode in less than 10 minutes, and why are you listening as prior to watching the show? We don't hold our listeners at such a level of disdain as Fox does. Sorry, this episode made me angry. But but maybe we'll get some joy out of my three co-hosts. First of all, we've got producer Paul Spataro. Hello, Paul. Hello, how are you? Archetype Andrew Leyland. Hello, Andy. Hello. And special guest, Mr. Bill Robinson. How's it going, Bill? Uh, Well, I have uh, three years left on my indentured manservant clause to (laughs) Paul's. But other than that, I'm great. He's special. And by the way, I'm Sean. I'm... I'm grumpy. I've got my angry pants on tonight. So at least you're wearing pants. Uh, it's That's a, true. There's it's a, a step first, up from the usual show. There's a first for everything. So um, how have you guys been? Thanks for you know. I, I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you listeners enjoyed last episode. Um, you know, we kind of sprung this on everyone with. You know, I, I think we may have promoted a little bit out there, but you know, this is going to be a little short little thing that we're doing, and I, I think we're having fun with this. It's an interesting show we're doing i'm rambling someone else have something to say <laughs> i thought it was magnificent and i just i'm so excited oh wait i haven't even heard it yet never mind <laughs> i think it's the best thing we ever recorded together it's sitting the bar really low <laughs> <laughs> not that i've listened to anything we've ever recorded together. you don't listen to anything yeah, you, you ever on <laughs> I, thought, I thought you had uh the the initial episode of Listen to the Prophets on a, on a loop and it just kept going. I do, yeah. I listen to me constantly. You know, I was gonna say you, you we usually run the the Listen to the Prophets show. You know, with do we have any news or anything? Do we have anything that we want to talk about before we get into the uh, the meat and the meat and potatoes of the show? Did, yeah, I can't believe it's been eight years since off. this show was on. Yeah, it's been longer than that. It came out in two thousand two. Yeah. That that just amazes me that it's been that long and it's taken me this long to watch it. And I've seen both pilots now. And you're watching it for a podcast. What does that say about our lives? But you know what? It it I think it's a good thing because it's like we're steering the podcast to to be entertaining to us. We're not just covering yeah, well, things look, here for the sake the of covering show. them. It's it's like, okay, here's, here's a friend of mine who's never seen it. I'm speaking for you guys here, and I'm actually taking the leap of faith that you consider me to be a friend. Uh, oh, yeah. Here's a friend of mine who never saw the show that I really enjoy. Let's – how about he watches it, and then we discuss each episode, and it'll be interesting that way. And I think it is an interesting way to do it. Yeah, that, well, that was the best thing. I originally threw – like we said last time, I threw this out to you two, said, well, so far, Edward Eats first night, let's do Firefly. Are you interested? And when I found out you'd never seen it, that just made me want to do it more. It, it really is an interesting concept, and we laid this out, and since you haven't listened to the first one because it hasn't aired yet, Paul or Bill, the, the idea is Andy's a big fan of all things Joss Whedon. Except I, Agents of 
Uh, well, except Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. I'm kind of hot and cold with Joss Whedon. I like some of his stuff, and then some of his stuff just irritates me. Like, uh, you know, I might as well go off on this. Cabin in the Woods. I could not stand that movie. I, I loved it up until the end, and then I thought, oh, wow. It's essentially the millennials telling everyone to go screw themselves. And I I hated that ending, and it ruined that movie for me. So there are some things of Joss Whedon that I like and some things I don't. Paul, but that was is, a you that was a Josh Whedon ending. It was a Josh Whedon ending, and that's why I hated it. <laughs> but you said you like Josh. Whedon. I like some. So you have this love hate relationship with Josh. Essentially, yeah. There are some okay. things I really enjoy about him, and there are some things I hate. I hated that ending. I was like, okay, you know, I guess I get it. You know, it's it's them railing against the you know the forces of uh, you know whatever. whatever. Yeah, the, the forces that are overseeing us, you know, these unseen forces that direct our life. Yeah, I guess that's really fun. But it's it's basically them being self-centered asshats, and I just couldn't abide by that. But, you know, and, and then, of course, Paul is one who just hasn't seen it, and he's been enjoying the heck out of it. So I, I'm looking forward to see, you know, what he has to say about this one, because it's going to be a draft, drastic contrast from the actual premiere that we watched the last episode the uh, show Serenity. So we'll see how this goes. Now you've made me want to watch Cabin in the Woods again, because I thought the ending was funny when Sigourney Weaver showed up. <laughs> see, uh, the the idea of the the whole trope of the movie, that basically it was kind of like a scream for the millennial generation instead of Generation X. You know, the idea of sort of taking the, the tropes of these horror films and saying that they're all manufactured in order to keep this sort the of Cthulhu -like. check yeah the, the sort of Cthulhu like Lovecraftian gods and checked and they have to do this to they have keep to the earth from being the destroyed archetypes. yeah the archetype each one and, and because these kids decided not to ha allow themselves to be sacrificed since they didn't want to step up to the plate and do this really for the step up to the plate good. they broke the cycle why would you want to sacrifice fuck the world Excuse my so, French. <laughs> so, so basically, so basically, they're saying they are more important than the entirety of society. That's yes. that's the idea. In your mind, aren't you more important than the entirety of society? Are you ready to just step up and sacrifice yourself just at the drop of a hat because somebody tells you you need to? If I if I knew it was going to save the entirety of society, yeah. But how do you know? Do you that? really know they it's going to save? They it? They didn't know Who that knows? until the very end. They're only going by what these people are saying. Well, you know, when you when you start seeing, you know, mermaids coming after you trying to kill you, I think you can probably guess that uh, maybe there's something to what they're saying. OK, there's mermaids I, coming I after you. And Sean, if you let it kill you, we'll be OK. Sure. Really? Yep. really? That's what they're telling you. And you're going to just say, oh, all right. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm not so quick to think I would sacrifice myself. And I, I thought the movie was interesting. OK, well, I'm just going to quote Captain Kirk. I want to live. We're going to agree to disagree then. I, I'm not saying <laughs> I wouldn't sacrifice myself, although I wouldn't. See, uh, <laughs> it, see, it also falls in it falls it falls into the idea of this is what there. It's taking the conventions of this movie and it's taking the sort of theme of the movie. You know, the 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 people are supposed to make the sacrifice for the greater good or to help society or whatever. And that's saying that, no, that's not the way to go. The way to go is to serve yourself. And I didn't like the 
that theme in the movie, I guess. See, I, I, to, to paraphrase a, a great thinker, the needs of the poor outweigh the needs of the many. <laughs> or the few. Or the I've Sean. Ne- I, I've never heard that. I've never heard that phrase before in my life. <laughs> I haven't seen it recently enough to be able to join in this conversation. Had I known we were talking about it, I would have rewatched it. Uh, I only saw it once. It's not not like, oh, I saw this and I thought it was the greatest thing ever and I have to watch it over and over again. But I did find it to be entertaining. I did too. And Angela got her is Thor in it question answered. Yes, Thor was in it. So there you go. (laughs) No hammer. Oh, he hammered all right. Well, it Uh, depends on your point of view, though. Oh, I was meaning he wasn't with, hammering with so the motorcycle, but I think, yeah, I guess he did hammer something else, too. Hammer okay. in the morning, hammer in the evening. Are, are you finished Ballad out? Ballad yeah. or Robinson. <laughs> Doing a podcast with, with Bill is like being on Glee. <laughs> you never know so... where the tangents are going to come from. Well, I, <laughs> I feel... Uh, a bit more special now. Uh, let's do the synopsis. Let's Never say. let anyone tell you you're not special. Uh, well, everyone does, surprisingly. No, um, Sean's not. School. Sean's not special because well, he well maybe he is special because he would sacrifice himself for all of us. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> He's for every one of us. Yeah, for every one of us. <laughs> you know, I just I just see Sean is so ready to sacrifice himself now that like you know we'd be all hanging out and I'd be ready to say Sean, could you get me a beer? But before I could get the words out, he's already slit his own throat to save our lives. <laughs> dude, dude, I just needed a beer. <laughs> I'm just a man with a man's courage, you know. Nothing but a man who can never fail. Now that that completely derails the story. Let's go with the synopsis of this show. How about that? Um. The Train Job was the second episode of Firefly. It aired on September 20th of 2002 and was directed by Joss Whedon and written by Joss Whedon and Tim Minear. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Minear, I think. Minear, okay. Yeah, he doesn't listen. He's not going to care. Well, if you are listening. You know, uh, of course, everyone listens to our show. We're we're damn popular. Um, We're big damn heroes. Mm Mm-hmm. The, ca- the cast includes the regulars as well as guest stars Tom Tolles as Lund, Andrew Brynarski, I'm trying to pronounce that right, as Crow, not that Crow, unfortunately, which would make it interesting, Michael Fairman as Niska, and Greg Henry as Sheriff Bourne. Captain Malcolm Mal Reynolds and his first mate Zoe and fellow crewman Jane Cobb are in a bar when Lund, one of the other bar patrons, makes a loud drunken toast celebrating the anniversary of Unification Day. Former brown goat rebel Mal picks a fight. Zoe, who fought with Nalor, immediately steps up to help him, and tough guy Jane holds back at first. Hey, I didn't fight in no war. Best of luck, though. But eventually joins the fight, just for the fun of it. As the entire bar attacks them, Mal radios his pilot, Wash, who also happens to be Zoe's husband, and shortly, Serenity dramatically backs up the hapless crew. Mal then runs into one of the passengers in the ship's infirmary, and Dr. Simon Tan. Simon is treating his mentally disturbed teenage sister, River, who occasionally shows flashes of her old genius hidden beneath her insanity. Outside the infirmary, Mal sees one of the other passengers, Book, a shepherd slash preacher, and Book tells Mal that Simon is very brave for giving up his life as a wealthy doctor to go on the run from the Alliance in order to protect his sister. Book senses that while Mal pretends to be merely an unsympathetic smuggler, he is protecting the fugitives out of a sense of honor, despite the risk of drawing attention from the Alliance. Mal then finds Anara Sarah brushing Kaylee Fry's hair in Anara's shuttle, 
and are as a beautiful companion, a licensed, well-respected courtesan, and Kaylee is the ship's mechanic. The local crime lord, <laughs> Adlai Niska, hires the ship for their next smuggling job. On a skyplex in ordinary, uh, orbiting space city, Mal, Zoe, and Jane meet with Niska and his giant brutish Lieutenant Crow. In order to cement his reputation and show that he's serious, Niska shows them a bloody dead body hanging by his feet. He killed this man, his wife's nephew, for failing to do a job. Niska outlines the job for Mal's crew, steal two crates of an unnamed Alliance cargo from a train as it travels from Hancock to Paradiso, and deliver it to Crow at the rendezvous point. When Mal and Zoe board the train, they discover that an entire squad of Alliance troops are also on board, though not specifically guarding the cargo. After they break and lock train car and secure the crates, Jane is lowered on a winch while Serenity hovers over the train. While they attach the cargo to the winch, a furious fed trips a smoke trap at the car door, and in the resulting melee, a wounded Jane is hoisted back to the ship. Mal knocks out the fed before he sees what's happening, and Mal and Zoe use the smokescreen as cover to re-enter the passenger car. On Serenity, Simon patches up Jane's leg and gives him the shot while Wash parks the ship in a canyon near, canyon near Paradiso, not the rendezvous point. Jane tells the crew that they should finish the job and leave Mal and Zoe behind, and deliver the cargo to the dangerous Niska. Wash says, though, that he won't leave without his wife to captain. Shepard Book, who knows a lot about crime lords for a shepherd, states that if Niska finds out Mal is being held and may speak to as to who hired him, I think we're better off being late. Meanwhile, in Paradiso, Mal and Zoe are aghast to find that the cargo was critical medicine for this poor mining town, in which everyone is suffering from Bowden's malady, a degenerative disease. The local sheriff, who's questioning everyone on the train, is suspicious of Mal's cover story. <clears throat> Anara appears, and the working-class townspeople, who have never seen a companion before, make a big fuss over her. Anara plays up her respectable status as a companion, claiming that Mal is her runaway indentured man, much like Bill and I, who are persuaded by Zoe to leave her husband and escape with him. She tells the sheriff that she's taking the runaways back into her own custody. Back on the ship, Mal announces the crew that they will be returning the cargo to the townspeople. However, a crow arrives with henchmen and violent fight ensues. Really? That violent? Which the Serenity crew wins. One of Crow's men gets shot, he was probably Tom Servo, and after the villains are secured, Mal and Zoe drive the cargo back to town. They intend to drop off the crates and notify the sheriff once they are well away, but they run into the sheriff, who has overheard their conversation. Realizing that the cargo is intact, the sheriff decides to let them go, respecting their courage to do the right thing. Outside Serenity, Mal returns Niska's money to a trussed-up crow, proposing that they will stay out of Niska's way from then on. When Crow rejects the offer and threatens to hunt him down wherever he goes, Mal says, darn, and casually kicks him into Serenity's engine intake. Another trussed-up henchman is then brought before Mal, who begins repeating his proposal, but the second man quickly agrees to take the money back to Niska. Back on the Alliance cruiser, two mysterious men in suits wearing blue gloves inquire about a girl and shows the captain a photo of River Tam. And that was a really poorly written synopsis. I apologize for that. Next time, I, I will read the synopsis prior to doing this and maybe write something that's actually coherent and not written by a seven-year-old. Jeez. Then that would stand out as being a quality that we're not used to being. Yeah, I guess so. Um, this, this episode disappointed me probably because it comes immediately after watching the far superior pilot episode that we saw last week. 
Serenity, I think we all agreed, was, if not one of the greatest, a really good pilot episode. It developed all the characters without having to spell all their motivations out. It had a lot of subtext that you could read into it. This is just a paint by the numbers, you know, the very poorly written. Well, maybe not poorly written, but just very generic plot. And I think the fact that Whedon seen, I, I think that this was written by Whedon and Meneer supposedly in two days. It was just sort of hashed out. It feels so lesser than the previous episode. And the fact that Fox decided to choose this one as the pilot, it, it, it really irritates me because we had such a good one in the original one in the first episode in Serenity and coming to see this as the actual pilot that they decided to air makes me think that Fox broadcasting doesn't have any faith in its viewing audience because this one was just, it was condescending. Did either of you see this uh, first run when it was broadcast? No, I, I was. I, I was going to retort what Sean said in in my "What did you think of it?" But yes, I did. Oh, yeah, because I this was I I saw this first run and this was the first episode and and it was it at, for a pilot episode it was confusing because you you know you were just everybody's thrown in there. You know, I wasn't here for the other show you guys did, but I did rewatch the first episode tonight, and you know it. While watching that now, it's like, man, this would have been such a better opener. Well, obviously, it was what they had planned as the opener. But, yeah, I don't know what Fox was thinking by putting this one up as the opening episode. Okay, go ahead and retort, Andy. I'm, I can take it. Okay. <laughs> I should hope so after two years of doing this stuff oh, together. Yeah. All right. First of all, the train job. Fox rejected Serenity. They rejected the pilot episode. They went to Whedon and basically said, we want an hour script for a new first episode on our desk on Monday morning. Apparently, allegedly, this story may be apocryphal, they gave him this edict on Thursday afternoon. So basically the show wasn't going to work. They'd rejected the pilot. It was too dark. Mal was too morose. They didn't like it. The fact that they could watch that pilot and not like it says everything you need to know about Fox television. But that, that's neither here nor there. Whedon contacted Mynir. Mynir came round Whedon's house Friday afternoon and fueled by coffee and alcohol, they knocked the train job out over the weekend to deposit it on the desk on Monday morning. Whedon, in hindsight, honestly thinks Fox did not expect them to do that. He thought they gave them that ultimatum so they could axe the show straight out. Hmm. In his naivete at the time, he didn't see that. He thinks this is all hindsight. And because they met the side of the bargain, Fox went ahead with the show. But he, looking back on it, he thinks they just wanted to axe it straight away. They had no faith in that pilot. From, from that standpoint, the train job is magnificent. In that, it does everything that they, the network wanted them to do with the show without being a complete betrayal of the show. Now, yes, Mal is a lot more likable in this episode, or certainly a lot funnier, a lot lighter than he is in Serenity, and that's a little bit of a disconnect when you watch them both back-to-back. But certainly this is an episode of the series. 
Now, given that one of the Fox mandates was we don't like the Western, do less of that. The fact that they've opened this with an outright Butch Cassidy train heist just boggles the mind. So there's two different ways of looking at it. On the one hand, is it a good first episode? Yes. Is it as good as Serenity? No. Is it remarkable that it is as good as it is, given its gestation? Yes. Did I watch it three times in between it originally airing and the next episode airing? Yes, because I instantly fell in love with the world, the characters and what they were building. I had not seen Serenity when I first saw The Train Job. And some of my rewatching of it came from the fact that instantly I fell in love with the world. But yes, I didn't think it, it introduced that world very well. Now, at the time, I didn't know why. And that may have led to why I watched it three times in that week before the second episode came on. In every instance, I agree with what you're saying about it not being a great first episode. I think... If you put it in the context of what they had to do, it's a remarkable achievement because it's never boring. It's frequently laugh out loud funny. The dialogue is brilliant. Fillion is just a tip of what is one of the best ensemble casts that have ever been on television. Adam Baldwin owns every line he has. Zoe's just fantastic in everything that she does the relationship between zoe and mal is brilliantly set up even though we've already seen it being set up and i think ultimately that's the problem that you've got with it is that you've just seen them introduce all the characters Mm. introducing them all again is superfluous even though it does manage to do it in a slightly different way and i don't think they managed to introduce simon and river properly so that we fully understand what the situation is just on this one forty-four minute episode. But in every other respect, I love this one. I genuinely do enjoy it. Do I wish it didn't exist and that the series had been allowed to progress as the creators wanted it to? Yes. But given everything they had to do to get the show on the air, the fact that this isn't a complete and utter betrayal of the show's concept shows just how good they could be when they had to be. And even here, even though Whedon has said that the ending of this episode is a much lighter mal than the one in Serenity, and he wouldn't have done this if he, if, if Fox had welcomed the pilot in open arms and said, right, you're going on the air in September, this episode wouldn't have happened, or certainly not the way that it happened here. Mal would not have been this agreeable this early on. It's That's still in his character. So it's not a betrayal of his character for him to do it, if you get what I'm saying. I do, but I think the way that we're actually watching this, since we are taking this in the in not the airing order, but the order on the DVD, the order that that basically Whedon Manier wanted to be coming, following up from the superlative intro introductory episode to this, you can't see this as anything but a step down. Yes, the beats are there. Yes, the character development is there, but it's so by the numbers and so dumbed down from that original episode that it makes it a lesser episode to watch i understand what you're saying and i can agree with it there a lot of the dialogue in there is great i agree with you i think adam baldwin steals the show every time that he's on it's just 
wonderful the the moment where he's he's been drugged up and he's gone onto the bridge to basically say that he's taking over and suddenly he starts seeing fireflies and starts grabbing at them and then passes out <laughs> you know Brilliant. what the chain of command is it's the rutting chain i'm gonna beat you with if we don't do what i say now i'd like to i'd like to bring this up you know last episode i brought up that you know that uh, jane essentially is the guy gardener of this show and i wanted to see if i could extend that metaphor a bit more and if you'll if you'll grant me a little bit of time i'm trying to think of how i can extend this to put these characters in line with the justice league international of the time mal he's batman because you know that he would take jane out with one punch <laughs> kaylee is essentially ice inara is fire zoe and wash booster gold and blue beetle and if you want to take... <laughs> actually that works um let's see i'm trying to you know uh book i think he's probably martian manhunter you know he's got a little he, he, he's the, he's the more oberon okay i could buy yeah, that I, know, but I can see it going either way and uh the, it's R- river and simon are the only one i can and you know i would i would think maybe barda and mr miracle but I, you know, that may be stretching the metaphor a little bit. But I think I, right now, Joss Whedon is listening and saying, "Oh shit, Sean figured me out." See, I can't, <laughs> and this led me. This led me to think, you know, I wonder because I know, um, oh, what's his name? Kevin McGuire has done uh, tons of uh, images where he takes different characters and puts them in in that uh, Justice League issue one thing. I know he did the one with the the various iterations of the doctor and did something mm-hmm. like that. I was surprised that I looked on the internet that there was nothing taking the crew from serenity and putting in that. And I was like, Oh man, I was wondering, I wonder if he'd do a commission about that. And so I went to his website to look up to see if, if he does do commissions of that. And he does, he does commissions. If you want to have characters up to 10 characters drawn in, uh, it's sort of as the justice league cover. It's a thousand dollars to have him do that. So, oh, wow. so um, uh, so much that's for the future. So each listener contributes a thousand dollars. We'll be able to do this. <laughs> yes. Well, a Gene, I guess Gene and maybe uh, uh, Paul and Greensboro. If you'll both uh, give us five hundred dollars, we'll let you see it. We'll post it on on Facebook. <laughs> I think you may that's be overestimating famous. our listenership. They listen to the profits, but I don't oh, know if they listen to this. Well, we'll have to find out eventually. But yeah, Paul, you haven't said anything. What What are your opinions on this? Well, you made me feel dumb. <laughs> I feel like, oh, I like this episode. Good. Oh, so I'm dumb. No, I, I'm not uh, saying. I'm not saying I. It's hard for me to like this episode because I watched the prior episode, and that one was essentially the pilot I wanted to have. It had subtext. The pilot you needed to have. The pilot you have. It's the pilot you deserve. It, I. Uh, Go ahead. I watched this and I tried to to compartmentalize it in my mind because you know knowing the history of how they asked him for the second pilot, you know, is this where no man where no man has gone before? Is it the cage? What's going on here? Uh, and I tried to watch it as just an episode. You know, the second episode. I've already seen Serenity. Now let's see how this is. But I've also kept in mind, what if I was watching this and this was the first episode I saw? And what I found weird about that is from the second perspective, although it is, I agree with you, somewhat dumbed down in how they present the characters, 
you know, hey, let's talk exposition for a minute, huh? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a little bit of that. Let me just tell you my motivations because I'm not going to have the time to show you in this one hour episode. Yeah, that's what I hated about this. That, you know, in again, going back to the Serenity episode, it was all spelled out. You know, the scene, the scene where where Mal's talking to book about, you know, I don't want to have anything about religion on there. And you see at the beginning of there, he's, he's kissing his crucifix as he's fighting at the battle of serenity. So that subtlety is missing from this episode so much, but go ahead, Paul. Sorry. But, but, no, that's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. You can interrupt me whenever you choose. Just not that bill. At least I interrupted you with something, you know, coherent. So there's that. I've got that going. It's, 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 that's something you can take with you when you walk away <laughs> from the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but when that... I decide to sacrifice myself for the elder gods. <laughs> I uh, I was able to look past all the exposition, and and I think Andy hit it on the head too that they did an awful job of introducing Simon and and River in this episode. They really don't tell you what's going on with them at all, and and I think I would be scratching my head at the end saying, "Who the hell are those two? <laughs> but beyond that, and being able to overlook all the exposition, I thought it was kind of a cool Western type episode. You know, the scene in the bar at the beginning, the the train job aspect of it, even the ending when he, uh, you know, when he gives back the money, you know, it, it was I thought it was entertaining. I I, I enjoyed it. And uh, I think if I watched it as the very first episode, though, I don't know. If, I, I feel it's weird because Fox didn't trust their viewers enough to go with the pilot that we didn't put together for them. They did this one instead. And meanwhile, I think if I had watched Serenity first, I would have continued watching. I'm not 100% sure if I would have with this because I didn't feel invested in the characters at the end or I didn't feel like I would be invested in the characters at the end. So I think this one does fail a little bit as a pilot. It's got exposition, but nothing to really make. The only character who I think you'd walk away really liking at the end of this is Mal. And that's based on mostly on that on the first the the opening and closing parts of this, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah, the show has been reconfigured to be about Mal, whereas Serenity made it quite clear that it was an ensemble, and it was actually about River. That's who the pilot episode was about. That's what the central mystery that they were setting up for the season was. What were they doing to River? Whereas Mal. He's the central, he's the lead character, he's not the central character. Whereas in this, Mal's front and center all the way through it. And it, it is, you do have that danger here that happened. If you go and watch the first 13 episodes of Star Trek, it's an ensemble show. William Shatner has as much to do in those early episodes as Leonard Nimoy, as DeForest Kelly, as, surprisingly, Grace Lee Whitney and George Takai. And then somewhere along the line, it becomes the Kirk Spot McCoy show. And there's a very real danger here that this could have become the Mal Reynolds show. Now, there wouldn't have been anything wrong with that as far as I'm concerned, but it was all of the cast that made the show what it was. And this is very definitely a cowboy western, and he's your lead character. And I I, I like that the barroom scene at the front is funny. It's essentially the opening narration in 
you can actually watch it. You don't need Shepard Book's opening narration with that teaser. That sets up everything you need to know. It doesn't do it as well as the teaser of Serenity, which is a lot more heartfelt. And yes, Serenity lays out its characters and the backstory, everything at a much more leisurely pace. This has to whack through it and then get to telling a story. And mm-hmm. it doesn't quite achieve that balance. But the opening teaser is very, very funny. I suspect we will rise again is a brilliant line. And this is why we lost superior numbers. And when they get thrown through the window and it's a hologram, that was funny. And wash rising from the back. Oh, it's a great teaser, but it's a lot more lighthearted than Serenity was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it sets up an interesting dynamic, I think, because you have the Alliance and you have the Rebels effectively. But it's all over. <laughs> you know that that battle is is only uh you know that that's the people who say the south will rise again uh you know 100 years after the war has been over and, and it doesn't matter anymore so that's effectively what mal is here and and to have him come into a conflict with somebody because they you know they're proud that they won you know however however you want to look at that and then zoe even says yeah it's it's convenient that you end up in an alliance bar every year on the uh, anniversary well, is this kind of thing ever really over? You know, Scotland is once again looking at doing a referendum. It's not less than 12 months since the last one where they voted not to leave the United Kingdom. Do Is the South, is the, what Michael Bailey said on it, one of his shows, sometimes he doesn't feel that that war is over. There are some people who still hate the Germans because of World War II. The, the Argentinians still hate us because of the Falklands War. Is this kind of thing ever over in the minds of certain people? Mal can't let it go. So is Mal the one that's wrong? And it's an interesting position to put your lead character in the place where you as the audience viewer, you're supposed to identify with this guy. You're thinking, well, our lead character could be wrong here. Yeah, but I don't I, I think the way that Whedon or the way that they've written it or the way they the way they portray the alliance is that even though you might think he's wrong you do think he could be right or that maybe that maybe that the brown coats were fighting for something and they were you know they gave up too soon or their their leadership just collapsed like in the battle of serenity when they didn't get the reinforcements and you know they seemed to be turning the tide and then you know it was done it was, it was over uh earlier you See, oh sorry 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 go ahead No, I was just going to say, because what's interesting about this, and I think something very interesting about the entire series, the Alliance are never portrayed as evil. They're not the Empire. They're not ruling with an iron fist in a lot of cases. They're just bureaucratic. They're they're the government. I mean, the the government can be viewed as helpful or detrimental by depending upon what your view of who's running the government is. We we get that we get that here right now we're going through the beginning is of an election cycle over here in the States. And there are people divided about who's going to be more helpful and who's going to be more detrimental. And yes, it, the Alliance is just the ruling government. It's not the empire. There's no maniacal person trying to manipulate people behind it. It's just bureaucracy. You're right. Now, do you think if, uh, well, Earlier, when you were saying that how Star Trek, how the first 13 episodes were an ensemble cast, but later it became Kirk, Spock, McCoy. If, and I was going to say, well, maybe if Serenity had gone on and had a few more seasons, would we have seen that? But then I thought a little bit further, 
And being a Josh Whedon show, I don't think it would have done that because he's usually pretty good at balancing his characters through his shows. At least I haven't seen all of shows. I haven't seen Dollhouse. I can't say anything about that. But through Buffy and Angel, usually there was a balance of characters, storylines and importance in the show. So I, I think he could have kept that balance if if this if 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 the show had actually been allowed to grow, but you know Fox, you know Fox can't. I, I you know Space Above and Beyond. I'm still mad about that. No, <laughs> ending it on a cliffhanger. God damn it. Now the the thing is, since we've got uh, this ensemble cast, we have also the ability to do episodes about specific characters. You know, we can do a character. We can do later on in the series. We'll see a pretty much Jane-centric episode. We'll see episodes that deal a lot more with Inara and her uh, dealings with uh, the companions and everything. So, I think the fact that we've got such a good cast, we could actually in the future have an ensemble feel, but also every once in a while do specific shows focusing on each individual character as well. Yeah, I'd, had the show gone on, I think very definitely we would have had a lot more because he has revealed what Inara's secret would have been and, and Book has had a comic book devoted to what his story would have been. I don't think it would have become the Mal show, even though Fillion does pretty much own every scene he's in, but he's got great people to play off. I'd watch the, the Wash and, and Zoe show. I think they're just brilliant. I love the line in the middle of this where Wash is all of a flap over what's going on and what's happening. And she just responds with, not now, dear. That was just brilliantly pat because you then cut back to Wash in his cockpit and he's like speechless. He's just been beat down by his wife. And that's great. That's an absolutely fantastic scene. And Niska's a brilliant villain. I mean, if there's one thing Serenity lacked, it was a good villain. We got the Reavers but we didn't really see the Reavers. So the Reavers exist purely on reputation. But Niska, you know Niska's coming back just from the end of this episode. And Michael Furman, who plays him, is great. See, I liked him, but I thought it was kind of stereotypical that it it, it was a very pat villain. He's got this sort of Soviet, Cold War, Russian gangster mob thing. I mean, it's not... Not that I'm expecting it to be vastly original, but it just felt kind of pat for this type of show. But wasn't, that's go ahead. I'm sorry. Wasn't he one of the Malachi brothers from Happy Days? I could not hmm. tell you. The, the, from the from the uh, demolition derby, and they would do the Malachi crunch. Yeah, the, the Malachi crunch, and they 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 squashed uh, Pinky Tuscadero one time, and then they tried to squash Fonzie. That was their mistake. <laughs> Don't try and squash. I'm pretty Fonzie. sure he was the older brother. I'm pretty sure he was Count Malachi. So he's he he is he took me out a little bit because he's such an identifiable character actor that it was hard to uh, to take him seriously in 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 a somewhat over the top role. Yeah, but sometimes it's nice to have an over the top villain. Especially in a Western. What's the Magnificent Seven without Eli Wallach? I think it's better to have an over-the-top villain who you don't otherwise recognize, though. I didn't recognize it. I mean, I may have seen him in other stuff, but I I didn't instantly go, he's from Happy Days. I I kind of recognized his face from somewhere, but I didn't. You walked on the screen, I heard Bill Haley and the Comet singing Rock Around the Clock. (laughs) 
Well, Actually, I'm not even 100 percent sure it's him. I'm not 100 percent sure, but he's been in so many things. He was on an episode of Seinfeld. I mean, he, he's been virtually any show you come up with. He's probably been, you know, in some bit part on it. Well, since we're speaking of sort of the the secondary cast, the guy who played oh, what was it? The guy who played Crow, Andrew Berinsky. One of the interesting yeah. things. One of the interesting things that he's been in, he's uh, he's obviously a big bulky guy. He's in so Hudson Hawk. He was in Hudson Hawk. He was also in the remake of the two uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. He played Leatherface in both of those. Plus, if anybody has seen this, uh, a while back, a, a long time back, they did a little short adaptation of the Lobo Paritary Pel- Blah, paramilitary Christmas special. Ah, uh, yes. And yep. he played Lobo in that. And he actually did, you know, as much as I know you love Lo- the character of Lobo, Andrew, he actually played a very <laughs> good representation of the character of Lobo in that. And that was actually kind of fun. So I thought that was kind of neat seeing him as this character, who we'll obviously never see, any- see again because he got... He was also in the Pearl Harbor movie. Well... He was, a- he-, he was one of the sailors on, I think, on the Arizona. You admit to seeing that? Yeah. What? Jeez. I'm proud to say I've never seen that. I've never seen that either. It's constantly uh, in rotation here on cable, and I avoid it every time. Never watched it. <sighs> the actual train job itself is well done and very cowboy. Except instead of having how how horses houses, they can have a house at the side of it. Instead of having a, a stagecoach. Yeah, so the stagecoach, they've got the ship above the train, which is mm-hmm. which is great. And there's some funny beats in the when he walks in and sees all the Starship Troopers, and realizes that <laughs> wait a minute, this ship's full of Alliance Alliance. Um, Did they rob soldiers. all the Starship Trooper yes. outfits? So- yeah, they are all Starship Trooper outfits. Because <laughs> that's all I was seeing in, in in these shots. I'm like, wow, that looks really a lot like the Starship Trooper outfits. Yeah, so it is. Yes, because that's because they are. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot. Let's see all the actual. The, there are bits of it that work really well, and maybe if this had just been a standard episode and not the first one, we'd have you'd have accepted it a bit better. Yeah, I could. You know, if it if they weren't trying to establish the characters through what I feel is sort of clunky narration, I think this could have been a much better episode. But the fact that Fox decided that this had to be the premiere episode, and didn't go with the actual pilot that you know Manir and Whedon came up with it just diminishes it for me it, I, I I would I would probably give this a higher rating if this were just say a middle of the first season episode and they're hired by this guy Niska to go do this train job then at the end they find out that the stuff that they stole is actually very vital to you know, this little town that's suffering from this mining disease, this degenerate disease. And it shows that Mal is an honorable person, that he's not in it for the money. He's in it to that he's going to try and help out people rather than help himself. So, well, he has to help uh, Star-Lord's uh, grand- uh, grandfather, right? Was he that does s- have to help. That was oh, Star-Lord's yeah, granddad. Right. Yeah. That yeah. is now that now that you mentioned that. Yeah. OK. You guys are supposed to say yeah. who? <laughs> and, uh, see, that's one of the things where it doesn't quite work for me based on what we saw in a Serenity. In Serenity, we saw that Mal was all about his crew. And by doing this, he's making his crew suffer. And once again, pay attention, um, Kaylee mentions the compression coils busted. Mm-hmm. 
keep that in mind. Now, in in the next episode, you know, not to spoil ahead, but in the next episode, they seem to have a way to get around that, but I guess they really don't. You know, they do a little bit of scavenging in the next episode, but obviously they don't come across, you know, the compression coil that's going to be important for later on in the series. So, mm. uh, but do uh, I, I've I've aired all my grievances for this, you know. Outside I, I, of the feats of strength. <laughs> I just keep bringing everybody down. <laughs> we we just don't get you, Paul. It's early in the morning and Bill in and I are In my mind, asleep. I'm really funny. Well. <laughs> in reality, not so much. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's where we should host this show then. In our minds. <laughs> uh, it is really early. Okay. Well, uh, do, do we have anything else we want to say about this? Any trivia? Any other stuff? Just as as I was watching it, I, I it occurred to me how much I love westerns, and how much I love science fiction, and thinking like to myself, how much do I like them melding the two? And and I kept going back and forth on it because on the one hand, I, I really you know I, I I enjoy both genres and to have them both put together is fine you know it's two two taste treats that go well together. On the other hand, I was trying to sit there and saying, okay, if the technology has reached this level, would things be as backwoods when you're on the ground as they are here? Or is this, you know, is it realistic or not? And and I'm going back and forth on it because I'm thinking they're probably, you know, you, you are dealing with basically colonists, you know, all these different outposts and everything. So the, the technology wouldn't have gotten too much in there. But you would think there'd be a little bit more technology interspersed. That's where I like the uh, the holographic window aspect of it, because that seemed like something you might have. Uh, I, I'd like to see a little bit more of that, because I think that would make it seem more realistic. Well, and it also plays with that trope of it's a it's a bar in an old west town where there's going to be gonna people break a window, yeah. thrown out the window constantly. So rather than having a window with glass where people can get thrown through it and you have to replace it and people getting possibly injured by being thrown through a glass window, you just have a hologram there. So, Yeah, it, to, me, to me it almost seemed like by making it less realistic and having a window like that, it makes it more realistic to have the melding of the two genres that way. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense at that all. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, it, it makes... To me, it kind of implies that a lot of people have gone onto the edges of the frontier to build their own life, but the alliance is in, isn't in any rush to help them. And if you actually look, Niska does have more technology at his fingertips than the average person does. So it's the implication, though, that because he's wealthy, he can afford to ship more stuff out than regular people can. But you, it does dance that line between you just accepting the premise of the show and you occasionally go in, well, why don't they have that technology that they have? Because, and ultimately, though, I think it's it's the same reason they did a lot of the same stuff on Battlestar Galactica. If you've got a replicator and you can make food whenever you want, there's no danger. If you can recreate your clothes, your shuttlecraft, whatever, whenever you need them, there's no drama. So by having them have to eat and they have to breathe and they have to make money, and they have to take a job, you kind of just have to buy into the fact that this is the way it is out here. And if you if you can't accept that, you, you're kind of probably not going to enjoy the show. And with an awful lot of television shows, there are premises that you have to buy into to accept it. And I agree with you. 
it does seem a little bit odd that they've all got spaceships and stuff, but they're still using old pistols. Whereas the Alliance, though, the Alliance had lasers and rockets when they blew up the derelict ship at the end. So it's is there an implication that the Alliance are holding the wealth back as a punishment for the frontier worlds? Well, they just, or do they just not care about the frontier worlds? It's either in the one of the because I watched, like I said er, earlier, I watched the three episodes back to back, and in one of those, I think Mal mentions that people were pushing out to you know the independent worlds, and the alliance just really doesn't really help them, or they're they're kind of on their own. So I think that's maybe where you're seeing the more Western style, the more rugged frontier living is you know because the alliance and and even when okay when the actual um when the medicine is stolen they have the garrison of troops on the train and the bureaucrat guy wherever you know says sir we got the report that this medicine was stolen and the one lower guy says well should we have this garrison of troops go help find the medicine no we have more important things to do they need to go on further to their base we don't have time to go find that, you know. So it's like they don't care about the little people in in that in that respect. Again, it's a it's a statement on the bureaucracy, you know, the government and how you know how it's perceived on these in these lesser places where it's not actively helping out the people. Yeah. Essentially, every world here is Tatooine. Yep. Is what it yeah. is. I'm currently reading Han Solo at Star's End by Brian Daly, and it's an episode of Firefly. Han Solo is mal. He's out on the frontier. He's far away from anywhere. He's running his little smuggling runs. He's going into bars. And it's this is it's basically an episode of Firefly. And I think one of the pitches for the show is what if Obi-Wan Kenobi never met Han Solo? This is what Han would be doing if Obi-Wan and Luke had never walked into that cantina. I could buy that. Okay, well, do we want to wrap this up and give our uh, reviews or our ratings? Yeah, yeah, the only thing I want to add is the end of the episode sets up that River is being hunted by the Alliance, which was obviously set up much better in the actual proper pilot. As we've discussed, River and Simon are burly in this one, mm-hmm. in any real capacity. Yeah, the whole, again, it, it shows that the government has got sort of creepy, glove-wearing, you know, men in black trying to hunt them down for whatever reason. Hopefully it'll get revealed later on in the series, maybe not. Maybe these guys are blue man group groupies or something. I don't know. Could be. All right, I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm going to just mention, by the way, that uh, I am mistaken. Uh, Michael Fairman did not play Count Malachi. It was Michael Pataki who played. Oh, oh he's Thingyo from the Trouble with Tribbles. Yes. He's he's the Klingon that isn't Koloff. He's the one that called yeah. the Enterprise a rotting garbage scout. Garbage. That's the one. Scout. That's Count Malachi. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm sorry. It should, it should be hauled should be away hauled as garbage. garbage. <laughs> Do you think you want to be taking those words back? Okay. And, and sadly, Count Malachi. When did Scotty become Irish? Uh, <laughs> when, when I when I missed when I missed up my uh. Sorry. I don't want to make you feel bad, but on this side of the ocean. Irish, English, Scottish, Australian, you, you all sound. You can't tell the difference, no. can you? You're all, you all look the same to me. I'm no <laughs> Professor Henry Higgins. Call blimey, governor. Uh, okay. Uh, all I know is Andy's from the north. Since since I'm since I did the the synopsis, which I read from shitty Wikipedia, you know, 
bastard. Um, I'm going to go first with my ratings. Like I said, see, I'm actually going to bring it up uh, a point because I was going to give this a 1.5, but I'm going to give it a two. It's still looking at this. If, if I could take this as an individual episode and not having seen the pilot prior to this, yes, I might have a better perception of it. But to me, it has all the things that I so dislike in TV shows. It has characters being, you know, it has motivations and characteristics being spelled out through dialogue. It's not subtle in any way at all. Yes, there's some good character moments. There's some thrilling heroics, which I like. Uh, again, Adam Baldwin as Jane is just phenomenal every time he's on the screen, at least for me. But compared to the the actual pilot episode, this is a significant, significant diminish, diminishment of the show. So I'm going to have to give it a two, and that's just me. Who's next? I guess I'll I'll jump in and uh, as the newbie, uh, we gave Serenity. I think we gave it fives all around, didn't we? I gave yeah, it a four point five. We gave it five washed dinosaurs, or I gave it five. Oh yeah, dinosaurs. Oh, I think yeah, we gave it five, and once again, Sean was the one dragging the average down. Dragging to a four it and a half. <laughs> four and a half. He's so hard to please, isn't he? Yeah. So he is. what? Washed dinosaurs. I feel sorry the... for poor Mrs. Angle. Yeah, we're going. Well, she's disappointed quite often as well. Um, yeah, we're <laughs> our rankings aren't in bars of gold press latinum; it's in dinosaurs. So, oh, okay, it's not in brown coats or yeah. blue gloves. Just you have to figure out what decimal point you're planning to take this one out to, Bill. Gotcha. Yes, <laughs> I uh, I enjoyed watching this, and like I said, I tried to watch it from two different minds: watch it just on its own, and watch it knowing that they rammed it down our throats as a new pilot episode. And while I did not appreciate the exposition, it felt forced and it felt incomplete. Like it didn't really feel like they explained the people, even though they were clearly trying to. I liked the single episode aspect of it. I liked the, the actual train job. I liked uh, you know, the, the resolution of it at the end. And I liked Mal in it. I thought he was entertaining. Uh, it didn't compare to Serenity. I have to be fair that way as well. And I'm going to say overall a three. It was it was entertaining. It was good. It wasn't great. Uh, yeah, I I I go with the uh, Alamorain. I go with um, three wash dinosaurs. It's not a great episode in and of itself. It's nowhere near as good as Serenity. It's probably the lesser episode overall but i still enjoyed watching it and i still found it fun i would say that you know going by the two criteria that you know this this was a this was a if this was a standalone episode it would get a little bit higher mark but you know as a secondary pilot i don't think it works as well but i do have to say that even even after being up all night working and then sitting down to watch these I didn't fall asleep, <laughs> which I've tried to do the same thing and come on with you guys for some recordings of Deep Space Nine in the first and some of the second season out. I could not stay awake 
Yeah, some of those some of those second season episodes near the middle. Just yeah. <laughs> anyway, two point five <laughs> to get to my rating. How'd you get half a dinosaur, dude? You, yeah. you got to slice it's, him right down. To, well, well, he got his head bit off by the. Uh, we did Tyrannosaurus Rexes. So. We got Tyrannosaurus Rexes, and we've got Velociraptors for the point five. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Velociraptors are the point five. Yes. Or he's got okay. five Velociraptors together. I'm right. putting it right smack in the middle. Two point okay. five. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I can live with that. Good special effects in it, though. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Apart from when it. Jane is lowered into the train, that was awful. Where everything else is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I, I will admit the special effects, despite I'm certain Fox's wanting desire to limit the budget as, as much as they possibly could, the special effects for the show actually turn out pretty well. All right. Well, since we're since we're recording this well in advance, chances are we aren't going to have any emails. But if you do want to email in to us, uh, we'll read it on our other show, Listen to the Prophets, which you can also check out at Two True Greeks. But for now, why don't we just go ahead and uh, go to a next time, Andy? Next time, an all new episode of Almost Listen to the Prophets, but not. <laughs> I forgot what the show was called. Oh, for next You're time. The... I know I came up with it, didn't I? Next time on an all-new episode of Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast, it's time to get bushwhacked. All right. Keep on Flying, a Firefly podcast, is a Two True Freaks presentation, and it's hosted by Shepard Bill Robinson, Paul Spataro, and Andrew Leyland. All the music and sound clips used in the show is copyright Fox Broadcasting and is available to buy on the Firefly soundtrack by Greg Edmondson. If you like to buy that soundtrack, maybe you could do it through the Amazon link that is on the 2TrueFreaks.com website. It costs you nothing extra, but throws a few pennies in our tip jar, which helps us to continue to produce content like this. Every episode of Keep Flying is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. And remember, find a ship, find a crew, keep flying. This is the shitty. Why did I not write my own synopsis? Because <clears throat> we're lazy. That's true. In order You're to too submit- busy sacrificing yourself. <laughs> Tied to some sort of pyre. Maybe I'll sacrifice someone else later. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>